Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. How are you going today? Yeah, I'm going well. I'm going really well. That's good. Tell us why you're going so well, Beck. You, well, you normally sound pretty well. I am. Let's be I honest. am usually you're pretty, pretty bubbly, well. but um, I am. <laughs> you sound even more bubbly today. I'm really enjoying the sunshine. It's getting warmer. Um, I've been seeing people a lot this week with classes, so I've really enjoyed that. And I've um, been working on a craft recently, which I Ooh, took up, a COVID really? craft. I have taken a COVID up, craft. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm entitling it. I have taken up macrame. So I am a macrame maker, which is like for those people who don't know, it's kind of, I don't fully know either, but you're sort of making knots to make things. And so (laughs) it's pretty cool because I saw... By the way, that was knots with like... Like with rope string and, and rope and yeah, fabric. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so for example, what could what are some things you could make? Yeah, so something that I'm making at the moment is I saw a wall hanging and I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I saw it in a shop. It was beautiful. I got closer and closer and I was like, oh, 70 to 85 bucks. And I was like, Ouch. nah, I can make that. I was like, I, I can be crafty. So I bought a ball of like thick string for like $15. And yeah, I've been working on that. I'm almost finished. I'm actually pretty proud. Epic. My yeah. wife likes to do macrame as well. Ah, awesome. She calls it macrame. I call it macrame because ah. in America, I think it's called macrame, but it's pronounced differently here, which yes. I always find myself caught in between. Yeah. What can I do? <laughs> what can I do? Man, I, I keep wanting to like not talk about this, but it keeps coming up in my brain. So the olfactory nerve is the nerve between your nose and your brain. It's the shortest nerve in your body in, in terms of direct contact to your brain. So this is one of the reasons why I'm giving you a weird and wonderful fact right now. This is awesome. I love it. So one of the reasons that scent is so quickly triggering to strong memories um, is because of the olfactory, the nerve between your nose and your brain is so short. But anyway, I keep getting this whiff because of all the COVID cleaning on this microphone in front of my face, this whiff of like cleaning supplies. And it's kind (laughs) of, it's kind of weird me out. I've never... I've never noticed it before. It must be getting to the microphone, all of the extra cleaning. But anyway, we, I digress. Today, we have got a great show lined up for you. We're super excited to have you listening in. Whether you're driving to pick up your kids from school or you're on your way home from work or whatever else you're doing, we are so excited that you're here. And we are continuing today our Heroes of Faith series. So last week we talked about Enoch and there were only five passages yeah. that was mentioned in the entire of the Bible and we ran out of time to talk about all the stuff that we wanted to. Today we have an opposite problem. <laughs> we're we're going to be looking at the story of Gideon and there's so much content that we're kind of like struggling to be able to get through it today. So hopefully this will be a real blessing to you. We're excited about that. And um, it's going to be a good show. Excited yeah. about that. And this is going to be interesting because I love the story of Gideon and it's not Robbie's favorite. So it's just yeah, going to be an interesting show. Yeah, we kind of have very different opinions on, <laughs> on the nature of Gideon. So hang on. Hold on to your hats and glasses. It's going to be a wild ride. So keep with us for real faith. This is Jake Reese, Day to Feel Alive. I've been a poor man and I've been a king. I've had my life and the world on a string. I've traveled many roads, but I'm so far from done. I have been hopeless and I've had my faith. Some things I've lost and some things I have saved. All of these moments showed me the way that I've gone. Good to know there's so much to live for.
of the show where it is what a weird and wonderful world excellent i'm super excited to find out what weird and wonderful things you're going to tell us today (laughs) but before we get into that if you have any bible questions we would love to hear them you can call in at 1-800-324-843 that's 1-800-FAITH-FM at any point in the show and you can call in with any bible questions that we'll try to address during our question of the day segment at the end you can also text in at 0491064669 or on the faith fm australia facebook page so what do you have for us today beck yes well, we have just been discussing, actually, that Robbie and I are very different. We're very different. We have very different thoughts, sometimes <laughs> almost opposite thoughts, but we are still friends, so I really love that. It makes for really lively good. conversation on air and off air. <laughs> it does. It's good. I like it. So, do you remember what my fun facts were last week? Something about dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember anything else, but I remember that you really like dogs, and, and you let's really just don't. say I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> I don't mind other people's dogs. I patted my friend's dogs today when I visited. Yeah, that's good. And then I left and the dogs stayed and I was happy. (laughs) So this week, my weird and wonderful facts about the world come from California. Yes! Yes, I love I thought, California. I I would Way bring more than pets. Things. I thought I would really Oh, this is myself. exciting. Okay. I feel like it's pop quiz time. <laughs> I should. I should ask Robbie, what is watermelon snow? Watermelon snow, I'm assuming, is probably man-made snow that's really slushy. No. so I'm wrong. Bum, bum. <laughs> so at the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, there is snow which is tinted pink, oh. and it's known as watermelon snow. I had it, not heard of this. It's because of a microscopic algae, and it changes the color of the snow to a light pink, and it also makes it smell and even taste like watermelon. I have never... How have I never heard of that after growing up in California for most of my life? Two decades I, I lived know. there. I know. This is amazing. This is you insane. have to look up watermelon snow. I feel... I feel jibbed. <laughs> Tell me more. All Tell right. me more about California. I'm excited. I so, wish this segment was longer. <laughs> 85% of the water that the people of San Francisco drink and bathe in is pure snow melt from Yosemite National Park. Woohoo! So it's pretty much just from Yosemite. So that moves us on to Yosemite. Yes. Now, Yosemite is... Well, I actually, my parents lived in Yosemite for a while. And for oh, those that cool. don't know, Yosemite is the home of some of the biggest vertical granite cliffs in the world. Yes. El Capitan being the keystone. Absolutely. How tall is El Capitan? El Cap is 1,000 vertical meters or one kilometer. Yes. Boom. 
It boasts a 3,300-foot rock face. Yes. Excellent. That is my dream. I actually, one of my many dreams in life is yeah. to climb the face of El Capitan. Cool. The, the route called the nose, which yeah. would involve sleeping on the side of the cliff in a, what's called a porta ledge, which is basically a hanging bed. Yeah. Uh, over two to three days. So cool. That's my dream. Yeah. Yosemite is actually considered the birthplace of rock climbing. Ooh. So It's not actually the birthplace of modern rock climbing, but we like to claim it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the mecca of rock climbing. <laughs> and so you've already mentioned El Capitan is the most notorious and perplexing climb. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's got some beautiful rock formations. So something that I didn't know is that Yosemite has granite rock formations. Yes, which is amazing rock to climb, Tell by the way. Tell me, what, do they, what happens at sunset, Robbie? What happens at sunset? On these rock formations. You get shadows? <laughs> they glow like fire at sunset. So sunset illuminates they the ridges. They do look really cool. And they actually, there's one in Horsetail, um, Horsetail Fall, and it's famous for appearing to be on fire when it reflects the orange glow of the sunset. It's so pretty. So cool. <laughs> I can't, so, I'm, still, I'm still bewildered that we're talking about California. I'm so well, excited. Well, I thought I'd pick something I, that I'm you guessing like. that our, our listeners are probably bored, but I'm excited. <laughs> I hope so, you're not bored out there. I hope you're not bored. This Robbie, is good stuff. Do you know you should visit sometime. what a lunar rainbow is? A lunar rainbow, I'm guessing, is when you have a halo around the moon. No. No, I'm, I'm getting good, all of pretty, these questions that's wrong. That's okay. It's pretty good. So Yosemite is one of the few places in the world where you can see a rainbow at nighttime. What? So lunar rainbows How come I don't know these things? or moon bows, they appear in early summer if the sky is clear and the moon is full. And because of the waterfalls mist, the moon sheds the light. Oh, that and makes sense. You can actually see rainbows there at night. There are some huge waterfalls. So they're called moon bows or lunar rainbows. Nice. Yeah, I thought it was super cool. This is good. So we've talked about this actually. Katie talked about this ages ago. My wife, yes. Absolutely. That Yosemite, She's been with me to Yosemite. It's home to the giant sequoias, and oh, they, they yes. are the biggest living things on earth. The giantest living things on earth. I had to make up a word for that. <laughs> They're actually fascinating. There's one, and I forget the name of it, but it's taller than a 747 is long. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. That's amazing. Um, it's estimated that the giant sequoias can live for thousands of years, and there's about 500 in Yosemite at the moment. Want to know something fascinating about yes. them? So they have no taproot. Most oh. trees have one main taproot with a bunch of auxiliary ta roots that come out to give it stability. Yeah. Giant sequoias um, do not. They have no taproot. And so if you trample too much around the base of them, you can kill the tree wow. by compacting the soil too much, which then causes the tree to fall over. Wow. That's amazing. So that's why they, when you go to see them, they have you a certain distance yeah. away from the trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Well... I hope you guys were blessed by hearing about Robbie's home, California, and some of the things that are there. And maybe it's a place where in the future when we can travel, you would like to travel too. That's right. I'll give you some hookups. I'll <laughs> point you in the right direction. So if you want to know about California, let us know. This is Callum Enterman letting go. the captives free you're the one who comes to stand between me and my enemies you're the one who comes to break the lies that i still believe the lies that never leave so come and have your way come and have your way 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Uh, Beck's going to do a plug here for some sort of questions or something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you've been listening, that we always have a question of the day. And so we actually do have a question from last week, but we would like some more questions. So That's we, right, Joel, if you're listening. Absolutely. We're going to hit up that question today. But we would love for you to call in on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us with any questions on 0491-064-669. Or you can go to Facebook and go to Faith FM Australia. Please send us your questions. So now we're moving on to the part of the show, which is our testify time. You! You! <laughs> so today for our testify time, we are having our very own Robbie, which is, he's going to be sharing a different part of his story with us. So he's had a different testimony before, but the one he's sharing today is about a particular time in his life. So Robbie... What I want to start with is tell me about a time when God gave you clear instructions or God led you 
to make a decision and you knew that it was from God? How did that happen? How did that come about? Awesome question. It actually, it's really relevant because of what we're looking at with Gideon because mm. Gideon is called by God to do something and Gideon doesn't really want to do it. So when I was, when I was about 18, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17 years old. I got baptized. And when I was 18, I remember I had a, I had a dream not, not like a, a real cool, fancy dream like Daniel had in any of our studies, but I had a dream, and it, the, basically the dream was me with a loincloth and a beard in the jungle, <laughs> and a, from that point, I was like, I want to be a missionary. Yeah. And anyway, um, so God does speak in weird ways, but anyway, <laughs> ever since that's been in my heart, and anyway, um, I decided that I would go to university, specifically to a Christian university where I could, I could sign up for a missions program and go overseas to be a missionary. Cool. And uh, I didn't actually sign up to university and with the intention of getting a degree. I signed up with the intention of going on a missions program. Yeah, that's awesome. But um, anyway, I was, I, I was like, I wanted to go somewhere that was remote, and I wanted to do something that was meaningful, but I really wanted to go wherever the need was great. Yeah. And so I remember praying. I joined this program. They were doing training, and uh, we would meet every Friday, I think it was, and we would talk about these ideas and we would do preparation and training and development so we could all be ready to go spend a year overseas in a foreign culture working for God. Cool. And um, I just remember that there was one place I didn't want to go. I was pretty happy to go anywhere, but I remember telling God, all right, so I want to, I want this unique experience. I had this jungle picture in my yeah, mind, yeah. remember? And I wanted to go somewhere that was not where everyone else had gone. And everybody else seemed to be going to do teaching, which I have n had no desire to do. And they were going often to the Pacific Islands and I did not want to go there. And they specifically from this university, many of them were going to a country called the Marshall Islands and specifically to an island called Majuro. And I was like, I'll go anywhere you want, God, but I do not want to be a teacher and I do not want to go to Majuro or the islands. And so I remember I was praying, where do I go? Where do I go? Looking for God's guidance. And anyway, one day the, the leader of the, the missions program came in. She said, all right, guys, they're going to shut down schools in the islands if they don't get volunteers. And I was like, all right, it's clear, God, you want me to go to the islands. You want me <laughs> wow. to be a teacher. And I was like, fine. And so I agreed, but I was like, not Majuro. And so weeks went on. And anyway, long story short is one day, my friend Linda, who was the head of the program, she comes in, she says, you know, they need teachers in Majuro or they can't run the school. And I was like, no, all right. She's like, do you want me to call the, the principal to just double check that? And I was like, yeah, make the call, make the call. <laughs> And so anyway, the point was I was looking for more signs and more signs. And anyway, the point is that God opened that door, and that's where I reluctantly, very reluctantly agreed to go. But you know, the amazing thing is that I followed in, in faith to where I believed God was calling, even yeah. though it wasn't what I wanted. Amen. Right? It wasn't what I thought I wanted. And what was amazing is that just before the end of the semester, we were going to go home for X amount of weeks and then go on our mission trip for the year and I was going to go be in this place. I met this kid and Linda comes to my office and she or to my calls me into her office and says, "Hey, uh, I need you I got this kid who needs to be put up somewhere. His plane flight to Michigan coming home from the islands, from the Marshall Islands has uh gotten him stranded. He's got 2 days, 3 days of layover in Los Angeles." So, he came to my room and anyway, he had been in the Marshall Islands at this very outer island school and he started telling me about all this stuff and then I discovered that what I was looking for, a place without electricity, a place with, that was very tiny, very remote, was actually available. And I inquired about this, and I ended up getting to go to this island. So I went to Majuro for like six weeks, 
because I was waiting for the plane to be able to fly so I could get to the island. The plane was broken the entire year. I had to take a Copra boat, which is where they pick up <laughs> coconut from and be on the ocean for two days to get there. But the long story short is that God took me to this place that was remote. There were 300 people on the island, islands, two and a half square miles in, in area. Wow. And God led me to this place and fulfilled this dream that I had had of putting me in a tropical jungle location. I wore more than a loincloth, don't worry. And I wound up teaching, which was what I didn't want to do. And through that, God changed the direction of my life. And I have grown to enjoy and appreciate teaching um, and to be able to find blessing in what God has opened. It's opened so many doors for me by just going where God led. And God promises in Psalm 37 verse 4 that if we take delight in the Lord, He will grant us the desires of our heart. And that was my experience. So I just wanted to encourage those who are listening to go where God calls, no matter what it looks like.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. We're so stoked to have you with us. Before we get into our Bible study on Gideon, yes, what a weird name too, by the way. Bible names are great. I love them because we don't know how to say them. <laughs> um, if you've got questions, perhaps your question is something like, how are you supposed to pronounce Mephibosheth? Or something a little bit more intense than that, maybe a little bit more thought-provoking, you can text in or call in by the following numbers. So Beck, how can they call in? They can call in on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or they can text on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can hit up our Facebook page with Faith FM Australia. Can I just say what a stitch up it is? Because Robbie doesn't tell me if he's going to do something or if I'm going to do something. So sometimes he just points at me. A lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah, everybody needs pressure. It's it's good for you. So we're going to start by reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. So this series we've been talking about, or that we're getting into, I guess we're talking about heroes of faith. 
And this, the characters that we're selecting are predominantly coming from a chapter in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, where the Bible writers, or, or the author here who I believe to be Paul, um, but the author of Hebrews is writing and he's, he, he highlights a number of people who have demonstrated faith throughout biblical history. And he uses these people as an example to give us courage, to walk forward in faith, to give us you know, all of these lessons that we can learn from. And so it's interesting. And I'm, I'm hoping that in the future, at some point in this series, we're going to look at, because we're still figuring out the series as we go, which is exciting because there's so many, so many characters yeah, to choose absolutely. from. We could probably do this till the end of the year, but we'd like to have a little bit more variety than that. So we're going to, we're going to figure it out as we go, how many we're going to do. But the point is that these heroes are mentioned here. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 mentions Gideon. Would you like to read that for us, Beck? Yeah, sure. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Awesome. So he's talking in this chapter about all of these heroes of faith, these people who they didn't receive the promise of eternal life yet, right? Yeah. They're, they're people who didn't see the realization of Messiah at their lifetime. There's all of these things that are going on, but these were people who demonstrated faith. Now, the important thing to remember, well, one of the many important things to remember is that none of these people were perfect. And Gideon, which we're going to look at today, was certainly not perfect. And we might get into that a little bit more as we go on in the series. But he's mentioned here, and he's one of four people who are mentioned in that verse who are from a book called Judges. Now, Judges is a book in the Old Testament that talks about a, a period of time between the leadership of Moses and Joshua and the arrival of the first kings of Israel. Yeah. And so during this period, the stories are very grotesque. There's a lot of violence happening. There's a lot of evil stuff taking place in the context of the story. And what's amazing is that as we read through these stories, we see kind of some pretty brutal things you know, being accounted for in these stories. But in the midst of this, this dark and turbulent time in Israel's history where Israel, the people of God, were apostatizing, which means they were walking away from God and being unfaithful to his ways, that God was reaching in even into that space when they cried out for help. And so we're going to turn to Judges chapter 6 now, and we're going to learn a little bit more about Gideon. Yeah. So before we get into Gideon, we want to read a little bit of the context of Israel at this time. And so to do that, we're going to go to, he sorry, not Hebrews, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. Yeah. Do you want to read that for us when you're ready, Beck? Yeah. Something I just wanted to share about Judges and about the people, like the Israelites. The story of the Israelites in the Old Testament is basically the story of God trying to call them to him and then the Israelites turning away and turning back to God and turning away. So we see this throughout the whole uh, history of the Israelites, basically. And so this is kind of one of those sections that we're coming upon now. And isn't that relatable? Yeah, right. A hundred percent. Faithful to God, and then turning around and going right back to where we were. It's it's awfully familiar, and and in an uncomfortable, personally relevant way. Yeah, which is why I think I really relate and affiliate with the story of Gideon because for me it's very relatable. It's very personal. I think I can really see myself in that, and I think other people can see ourselves. So whether or not he's a hero, I find that <laughs> maybe some of the things in there are just really relatable to all of us at different aspects of our life. And I think one thing that's going to come out in this series is that ultimately the real hero of faith is God. Amen. Because it's God putting faith in broken humanity and working through broken humanity. And it's really us putting our faith in him that ever results in anything good. Yeah. It's by his spirit as we'll see. Amen. So Judges chapter 6 verses 1 to 10. 
Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Awesome. Well, not awesome what's happening, but awesome the reading. So, all right. So, the first thing that it starts off by saying is that Israel did evil yeah. in the sight of the Lord. And this starts, you know, this is, this is not the first story in the book of Judges. This, we see this recapitulated each and every judge. The Israelites walk away from God and they go back to these, these pagan ways. And by the way, sometimes we, we fail to recognize just how serious and significant some of these pagan things were. Yeah. Child sacrifice was part of it. Sexual abuse was part of the worship in some of these cultures around them. There were some heinous things that were going on. And so they're falling into these pagan ways. And so God allows the Midianites, this, this foreign group of I guess marauders, for lack of a better term, they were a nomadic people, and they would come and raid the the people's belongings. They would let you do the work of the farming, and then they'd come and pilfer and pillage all of your stuff, take it away, but they'd leave your houses to, in hopes that they would be able to lure you back to doing it for them for next season. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And even if they took your things, they would also burn the things. So, Mm. you know, even if they didn't have ability or didn't want to take everything, they would just get rid of it. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it was a really intense time for Israel and probably for the people who hadn't, if there were people who hadn't turned away and they were brought up in this time. This is where we see people uh, like Gideon come upon. Fully. And so they run to the mountains and they make caves and dens and and places of hiding in the mountains. So these these are people who are essentially being... I, for lack of a better word, they're being oppressed and afflicted in their own space, and they're almost like refugees in their own home, right? They're not totally, e- not exactly yeah. exiled, but they're kind of running away to the mountains to hide in certain places to protect themselves and try and preserve what food they can. And so this is happening, and then the prophet comes and says something. And what's the point that the prophet says? The prophet basically says, you were supposed to follow me. You were supposed to not be doing these things against us. And basically, you're an example. And I just asked one thing of you don't follow in the Mm. way of the nations. But you haven't done that. You followed in the way of the nations. So because of that, basically, this is why this has come upon you. Totally. And what's really interesting is he there there says, this is is God who brought you. The Lord God says, I rescued you from Egypt, from the land of slavery. And yet you have failed to obey my commands. 
and you've followed in the way of these, these places that I've brought you out of, which is amazing to think because it's actually the same language that's used in the gives the Ten Commandments. The first thing that God ever says before he gives the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Yeah. In other words, God says, I rescued you. Mm-hmm. You're now saved. Yeah. Now let's start acting like it. Yeah. And it actually really reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament where he talks to people in this one occasion with one woman. He looks at her and he says, go and sin no more. Um, He's saying, I've I've saved you. Don't do it anymore. That's right. And basically what he's told Israel is like, I've saved you. Don't do this anymore. And they're like, we've gone back to bondage. But we chose to do this. Now one thing that's really important to highlight just before we read on is that it says after X amount of years, and I think it was seven years we find out later in the story, that they were oppressed, they finally cried out to God for help. Yeah. And what's amazing about this is that God's mercy is so great to these people who have failed him over and over and over again, who have turned their back on him. And yet when they cry out to God, he's still willing to come and to reach out to them in mercy, to help them in their affliction. And this should give us encouragement and confidence that rather than running from God when we have made mistakes, rather than running from God when we have fallen short and we have done despicable things at times, that we should run towards God and confession and repentance and asking for his assistance because he is lovingly merciful and long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to the call of Gideon. So we're going to read through from verse 11 through verse 16, I think it was. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Awesome. So the angel of the Lord appears, and we even have this inference being made clear in the text. He's also called the Lord. So the angel of the Lord we understand to be Jesus before he was incarnated to be a human yes. being. Yes. So this is the, the pre, you know, the, the BC version <laughs> of Jesus in some angelic looking heavenly divine form, right? And so we've got the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he calls him some strange things. It's yeah. amazing. He calls him out. He says, mighty man of valor. Yeah. I've called you. And I think it's amazing. I actually love this story. This is um when I had to preach a sermon one time. This was the first sermon that I preached. And I love it because it's so, to me, opposite of what you would think. Like the angel of the Lord comes to him and he looks at Gideon and says, you mighty man of valor. And we think, man, what is a, what is a man of valor? And in the dictionary, it basically says that someone who's a valiant man is courageous in danger, especially in battle. 
Mm. And we look here and the first thing that we see of Gideon is that he's hiding. And he's hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat, which means he's just separating the wheat out. And he's hiding there because he doesn't want people to find him. To me, it's so not valiant. And it's amazing because that's what Jesus says to him, you're a mighty man of valor. And so my first thoughts are, man, God sees in us something that we don't see in ourselves. Boom, mic drop. And I love that. So like good. I, I love looking at that. And also something else is that, as we'll see through later in this story, Gideon is talking and he says, well, where are you, God? Like why you weren't here? And he says, I, I don't know what's happening. But God says to him, Jesus looks, looks at him and says, you are going to save Israel. And Gideon says, ah, oh, how can I save them? I'm the least in my father's house. And you think about him. And when I think of that, I think, man, he's the least. He's the smallest in the clan. He's probably the lowest of the brothers. Uh, he's probably the one that gets picked last for sports teams when they're playing sport. He's not like the strong, valiant dude. But God has chosen him. And Gideon looks and says, man, this is not going to happen. But God says, actually, I'm going to pick you. You're going to be the one that saves. And Gideon says, how can this happen when I'm the least? And the thing that God says to him, he says, I will be with you. And for me, it just immediately brings that it's not about us. It's about God being with us. Fully. Oh, so good. So good. And so what continues on in the story from this point is, and we're going to summarize this, but you should read this from Judges chapter 6. There's something that's interesting. Then he says to them, to him, Gideon speaks up. He says, if now I have found favor in your sight, then... Show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Now I want to highlight that because this if then comes up three times from Gideon and then God gives him an if then later in the story. So keep that in the back of your mind. And then what happens is he says, okay, if, if it's really you, God, who's speaking to me, stay till I come back and offer a sacrifice. He comes back with a sacrifice, offers it. The angel of the Lord reaches out and miraculously burns up the, the offering. And then he says to him, I have a mission for you. And that mission is what we're going to get into right when we get back. This is Vocal Union, Live in Love. I'm living with 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. You! And before we get into our continuing story of Gideon, I just wanted to remind you, if you've got any questions for our Question of the Day segment about God, about the Bible, about religion, spirituality, you, you name it, uh, we would love to hear about it. Then you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669 or hit us up at Faith FM Australia on our Facebook page. So Gideon is speaking to the angel of the Lord. And the last thing that the angel of the Lord does is he says, hey, I've got a task for you. And that task is, and just this is in summary, he says, I want you to go to your father's house where there's an image to the pagan god Baal. I want you to chop it down, push it over, and there's a wooden uh, image, a pole next to that, and I want you to chop that down and, and get rid of it. And in the place of those things, I want you to build me an altar, essentially according to the way that I had described it before, and offer some sacrifices to me, the one true God, in the place of this. Now, this is a huge act of defiance against the culture, against the paganism that has come into the culture. He needs standing up saying, we're not standing for that anymore. We're crying out to the real God to save us. Let's make it happen. Yeah. And so that's where we're going to continue. So let's continue reading from Judges chapter 6, verse 28 through 32. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? 
Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. All right, so what's going on here? I I think this is such a funny part of the story. I really think it's hilarious because God says, Gideon, cut down this Baal, cut down this altar and offer to me a sacrifice and do it to show, yeah, your authority, my authority. And Gideon says, yeah, okay, but I'm scared. So he does it in the middle of the night. Mm. So he takes some servants of his father's house and he does it in the middle of the night. And then the men of the town come out against him in the morning and they found out that it was Gideon. They go to his dad. Where is Gideon in this time? He's hiding. He hides in the house and his dad comes out basically and stands for him and speaks in place of him. And to me, again, it doesn't seem like a valiant thing, a valiant man. But to me, I'm like, man, God can really see in Gideon something that is going to happen at the end. But that thing is coming from him because Gideon doesn't have it inside of himself. He's not that kind of person. Which is just so profound. I'm reminded of a Bible verse in the New Testament where it says, that God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the powerful. Yeah. Right? That's cool. Isn't that interesting? God's strength is made perfect in weakness, he says to Paul. And I think it's fascinating that we have an example here of this. Gideon's called a hero of faith, and he does not seem to be very deserving of that title in and of himself, does he? Yeah, no. Powerful. All right, now there's a couple of things that are worth noting here as well in this section, That's this, and one of those is that um, the... Children of Israel that are living in this place are so upset that they are ready to kill Gideon for pushing down their pagan idolatrous practice. Yeah. And so this is astounding, right? These are the people of God, and it's the people of God who are saying to the person who's doing what God actually says, you are going to be put to death by us. Yeah, Now think about that. This is people who are claiming to be God's chosen people persecuting the people who are actually faithful to Jesus. Yeah. Like this is heavy, heavy, heavy. And it actually, it's interesting because that ties into the end times. It ties into the times of, you know, all of the persecution that, not all, but much of the persecution that the Bible foretold from the time of the apostles onward, that it would not just be outside influences. It would be those who would be claiming the name of God who would be persecuting people who were actually faithful to God. So we see that that will, that will come again. Yeah. And we know that it's happened historically, so it's fascinating. And then there's something else that I think is great in here. First of all, Jeroboam, Gideon, same guy. His father gives him this new name, which means against Baal or uh, incites against Baal, let Baal do his thing. Let Baal plead. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I said it wrong, sorry. (laughs) Um, He has gone from having the idol in front of his own house to defending his son and saying, hey, look, if Baal really is a god... Then why don't you let him fight his own battles instead yeah. of you needing to come here and kill my son instead? Let if Baal really is this powerful deity, let him strike my son down for destroying his altar. Um, let Baal prove himself, mm. right? Which is powerful, yeah. Because this is one of the many arguments that's made throughout Scripture by the prophets. Let these false deities prove themselves, if they are real at all. And God shows up by proving Himself. All right. So from this, there's we're going to do some more summarizing here. It says that all the Midianites and the Amalekites gathered together essentially for war. And then it says in verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he starts to gather warriors. And it says that 
2,000 soldiers gather to assist Gideon to go to war. And at this point, Gideon seeks for some assistance from God and some more... Uh, confirmation. Confirmation is a good word. So let's read from verse 36 through 40. Yeah. Although, <laughs> to me, I would think he's had a lot of confirmation recently. I reckon. <laughs> miracles, God saving him through his father, bringing an army of 32,000 people, coming. fire coming out There's of the ground. There's been a lot of things. So here, yeah, we see another act of um, valiancy on Gideon's side. That's right. Lots of bold faith. <laughs> Verse 36, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. All right, so we had the first if then was testing that the angel of the Lord was actually not just some random stranger claiming some craziness, right? If you are who you say you are, then stay here and wait so I can bring an offering. Now he comes to number two. If you are going to go with us, then please let this fleece, now people may not know what that is, but like sheepskin, wool, right? This thing, I'm going to leave it out on the ground overnight. And when I come out in the morning, if there's dew all on the fleece, but not on the grass around it, then I'll know that you're with me. Now, the funny thing is, that's kind of what fleece does is absorb water, right? Yeah. And so he comes back in the morning and he sees that God's answered the sign and he's like, oh, maybe that was just not God, but nature. Yeah. Uh, maybe I need to, yeah. yeah. Right? And how often is it the case that we know mm. God has said to us, this is the thing to do. Yeah. It's in accordance with my word. It's in accordance with my will. I've called you. Yeah. And then we go, oh, I need some more confirmation. Yeah. And then we ask God for a sign and then God delivers the sign and yeah. we go, oh, I think I need another sign. I think I need another sign. And you know, when I was talking about my experience in going to the islands, I played that game. And I was like, give me another sign, give me that and eventually I was just like, Oh, just go. Just just go. God's yeah. with you. Yeah. I'm not excited, I'm terrified, but just go. <laughs> and then God gives you exactly what it is that you was was necessary. Yeah. And so God is so patient here. Yeah, I love that, that view of God that He's so willing to encourage Gideon. He basically listens to what Gideon is saying, even though he's the God of the universe, he cares about what Gideon is feeling. And he's like, ah, I'm going to do this for you. Why? Because I love you and because I want to save this people. It's powerful. Mm. It's powerful. God is incredibly patient. Yeah. And I wonder how much different the story would have looked if Gideon had just had more faith. Yeah. But anyway, I digress because that's just speculation. So let's keep reading and we're going to read on. So what's going on? So there's 32,000 men gathered together and God's like, all right, I've given you the sign. I'm with you. You're going to win the battle. It's going to be okay. What happens next? So let's read from verse 1 through verse 3. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. 
Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. <laughs> like, all right, God, I've got the confidence. I've seen the sign. I got 32,000 people. And God goes, all right, so you got too many people, bro. You guys are just going to think it was you. And uh, what I want you to do is go out there and, and say what, what actually Moses would say to people before they went to war, which was, hey, if any of you guys are scared, go home. Just go home. It's all right. We don't really need your help. You can go home. It's okay. Yeah. And so he does. And out of 32,000 people, how many leave? 22,000 people. So yeah. he's gone from 32,000 to 10,000. So he's lost 70% of his army. Yeah. Now imagine being Gideon at this point. And you're like, okay, I've seen the signs. And now everything's leaving. I'm getting scared. Of, you know, he, he doesn't know how many people there are. We find out later, I think it's 135,000 or so that were actually in the army, or at least that were defeated by them. And he's got now 10,000. Well, actually, yeah, some of the commentators, I think, suspect... Something like that, three hundred thousand, or it's like one to ten. You know, a huge amount. At least it says that they're they're innumerable. The mm. amount of warriors that they have against them. So it is a lot of people. All right. So is that enough? Let's keep reading the next paragraph, which is verse verse four through verse seven. But the Lord said to Gideon, "The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there." Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Otherwise, everyone he gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. And so they did. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> put yourself in Gideon's shoes here for a moment. All right, God showed up, he's called me, and then, sweet. 32,000 people, but I'm still feeling a little scared, so let's get some more signs. We got a couple of those, because... One wasn't enough, two wasn't enough, three, okay, we're good now. And then God says, all right, send away 22,000 of your soldiers. You're like, all right, it's okay. I still got 10,000. There's still a chance. We might yeah. be able to do this. We find out later that 120,000 enemies had been, uh, have, have been defeated. Yes. And that's not all of them that were there, but that was how many were slain at the end of this crazy battle that pursues, ensues. But now he goes, all right, now I want you to get everybody to go. When, when they go to drink before you set up camp, those who get down like a dog on their hands and their feet and just lap water out, like get the water up that way without using their hands, says those are the people. Everybody who gets down on their knees and drinks the water like with their hands and cups it and does all that, and he's like, uh, those guys, send them home. And so he goes and keeps a nice close tally. I imagine that was a funny part. And 9,700 men go home. Yeah. He's got 300 men, which is less than 1% of what he started with. So true. And then God says, this is the army. Now, this is the right size army. This I can work with. Yeah. And so if that wasn't crazy enough, you got to start thinking, well, how in the world is God going to set it up? What are they going to do to actually set this up as the way that they're going 
to win this battle. And I think for me, I really just love this part because it really shows that, again, that it's God that is doing this because that's that's his whole point he wants to show. And God is the one that's putting the faith that's very barely there in Gideon. God's the one that's using him. And God is the one that says, I'm going to use this tiny amount of humans to amass against this great, great war that's coming against you, basically. And it's so profound because this is not just something that relates to Gideon, but it relates to us. There are times in life where God is calling you to a task when you are the person that God has chosen to do his work, his will in some way, in some capacity. And we look at ourselves and we think, okay, I'll do that. And we play this sign game. And then it seems like everything's falling apart and God's still calling you to do it, even though all of the the tasks are getting bigger, all of the resources are getting smaller, and yet it's at that point that faith is really being exercised because it's then that we realize we cannot rely on ourselves. We actually have to rely on God. And it's often not until that point that God comes through with these miraculous doings and we see God work in first-person point of view, and he does. This is for king and country. Oh, God, forgive us. Amen. We're praying the prayer with no reply. Words float off into the night. Couldn't cut our time with the sharpest knife. Oh, oh, God won't give us. Silence isn't comfortable Won't drive through peace and instant hope Our shallow faith that has left us broke Oh, oh, God won't give us Oh, oh, God won't give us A slave to our uncertainty Help us with our unbelief Oh, oh, God, forgive us Young and old, black and white Rich and poor, there's no divide You're the mighty, you're the powerless Singing, oh, oh
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And one more shameless plug for question of the day. Get your questions ready because now's the last time I'm going to be able to say it before it's time. So if you've got any questions, please send them in. Beware, you can also send them in any time during the week. So if you're just like, you're reading the Bible and you're like, what does that mean? I'd like to find out some more about that. Feel free to contact and text in at any time. They'll do their best. Our producers will send that to us. And uh, you can send those questions in or calling in or texting or Facebook messaging by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Texting in at 0491-064-669 or hitting us up at Faith FM Australia on Facebook. So let's continue. So there's 300 men left, less than 1%, just shy of 1% of the original size of the army. But you know, the truth is, you know, less than 1% and they're really properly committed is probably better than you know, 70% that aren't actually committed who are going to run away and then scare those who are committed away. You know, having people who are actually committed to the mission in smaller numbers is better than people who aren't committed in larger numbers because really you want people who believe in what's going on because they're the people who are going to stick around and be committed. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's just a leadership 101 point there for you. All right, let's continue reading. So God shows up at this time and speaks to give instructions to Gideon again. So let's read Judges 7, 9, and 10. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. All right. So I wanted to highlight this because if then, if then, if then, Gideon keeps asking, if you're going to be with me, then show me a sign. And what's amazing here is God gives him instructions, and he says, Arise. Go down against the camp. It's time to fight the battle. And he follows the same pattern. He doesn't, he doesn't start with a sign. He says, here's the instruction. Go. In other words, I'm with you. It's time to do the work. Yeah. But then he, he, he anticipates Gideon's questioning, and he just says, without him even having to ask, he says, but if you are afraid, then go down with your, main, your, your, you know, your dude, Pura. I can't remember what he is, your servant. Yeah. Um, Go down with him to the camp and you will be encouraged, right? And so Gideon responds by going, all right, hey, Pura, let's go down to the camp. Yeah, Gideon responds <laughs> I want some by confirmation. Like, I'm still afraid. Right? Uh, yep, still afraid, for sure. And so they go down and we're going to read what happens. So they go yeah. down and they listen over this conversation of the, the Midianites, these people who are gathered to make war against Israel. So let's read from 13 through 15. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. (laughs) It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. I love it. Hey, dude, I had this dream and there was this loaf of bread bouncing down the hill and it hit my tent and the tent fell over. Yeah. Right. This is so weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. But then he says, this is what it means. Yeah. So let's keep reading. This is cool. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. 
He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. It's so awesome. I love that before you make your point, I want to just get this point in. It's, it's just, it's so cool that God actually responds by giving him this confirmation. Yeah. It's so cool. And they were terrified. This is the point that, that, that I wanted to make. These people are actually scared. Even though there's over 100,000 of them gathered together, they're terrified. And there's a fear of Gideon. There's a dread on the camp, which is powerful. Yeah. It's so beautiful to me. I love this image because the image actually that the dream that they have is of a barley loaf. And so a barley loaf was actually the poor man's bread in this time. So the barley loaf was the smallest, the weakest. It really represents Gideon so sufficiently. It's so good. And so it's like this this tiny little of barley loaf that tumbles in and destroys the whole tent. And he's like, this is Gideon. And for me, it's so beautiful because Gideon had all these signs, just what you were saying, Robbie. He's like, if, then do this, show me. He has the fleece. He has being saved. He has fire come down from heaven. He has so many things, but he still is not sure. But this time, God has mercy on him again. And he's like, man, Gideon, I want you to believe. And so he leads him. And then it says, God hears, like Gideon hears what is said. And in verse 15, and so it was when Gideon heard that he worshiped. And so for me, it's so beautiful because first, you believe, you hear God's word and you believe his word and then worship follows. So Gideon worships and he puts his trust in God, even though the thing hasn't happened yet. And so many times we see throughout the Israelites journey and throughout scripture that we are called to worship and to trust in God, even though we haven't seen the fulfillment of the thing that he's promised. Oh, that's so good. I love it. So good. All right. So let's find out the rest of the story. Let's keep reading. So he comes down and he says to them in verse 16, he divides them into 300 men into three different companies. So a company of 100 each into three groups. And then it says that he, he gives them these instructions. He says, look at me and do the same thing that I'm doing. Watch and when, or says, watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you do what I do. He says, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow your trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so what he does is he gives them, on one hand, he puts a torch that's covered up with a pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like a clay pitcher. Yeah. So you've got a, basically a, a burning torch that's covered up so you can't see it. With a big clay pot, basically. That's right, a clay pot on top. And then on the other hand, you've got a, a traditional shofar, which is a ram's horn trumpet, right? And so this is what they use to make battle cries. And so they're armed, literally, they're gathered in the dark. It's nighttime. They've got a torch in one hand, like a, like a flaming torch, like a piece of stick with burning fuel on it, and a clay pot to cover up so you can't see the light. And on the other hand, they've got a horn. There's no room for a sword in their hands. Yeah. And they come and they gather, and he says, gather all around the camp. And then he says, when I blow my trumpet and the men with me, then everybody blow your trumpet, smash the pot so they can see the lights, and cry out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Yeah. And so this is what they do. So let's read, they come gather around, and it's dark, it's nighttime, and let's read verse 21, sorry, 20 and 21, then the 20 three, to 22. <laughs> then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabith. 
Awesome. So they do it. They come gather around. He blows his, his trumpet. If you've ever heard him, they're not like, it's not like, doo, 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 doo. it's not like a real pretty brass trumpet. It's like, it's a weird, you look it up, everybody, please just look it up. Shofar, S-H-O-F-A-R. Look it up. Shofar. Listen to what it sounds like. It's, it's pretty amazing sound. It's interesting. And so they, they blow out their trumpets. They smash the, the clay pots and they, their torches are on display. They make the cry, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Yeah. And there's so much chaos and confusion in the camp that the entire army of over 100,000 people flees. But not only that, they start to turn on each other in the confusion and start to fight each other. They must have been confused, not sure who people were. It's not like they probably, as a nomadic tribe, they probably didn't have you know, a lot of the same colors and you know, uniforms. It was probably a little bit harder to see who was who in the yeah. dark. And so they actually start fighting each other. And then they flee a very long distance, so far, in fact, that the other people from other tribes of Israel join the battle and start pursuing them and they win this enormous victory. Amen. And then the Midianites are no longer oppressing them and there's some more things that happen. Gideon makes some really big mistakes later in his life that lead to really bad decisions <laughs> that lead to the ruin of many of his people, unfortunately. But we're going to probably look at that in another study uh, coming up in the future about the failures of some of these heroes. But it's powerful and profound that God comes through and God didn't need it to be what he thought or like what, what we would think would be good. Yeah. God just needed people who were willing to listen and respond to God's calling. Amen. And I think for me, it's you don't even have to do it without any fear. So it's not that you even have to not feel something, but you have to trust what God is doing. So you don't trust yourself. You have confidence in God. And for me, this whole story is not confidence in Gideon. It's confidence in Jesus and what he does for us. Totally. And then there's, you know, there's an interesting thing about this concept of courage or bravery. Courage does not mean you have no fear. It means you stand up and do the right thing yeah. in the face of fear. Amen. And so in fact... Courage and lack of fear are almost opposite because it doesn't require courage to stand up against something you're not afraid of. Courage is to stand up against the face of something you are afraid of. And so we can trust in God and we can have courage to face our fears, to face the challenges that come against us because we know that God is with us. God is with us. This is Wintley Phipps, It Is Well With My Soul.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We've come to a very special time of the day, and uh, we've been uh, we've been working on some jingles back here with our producer, and uh, we really wanted to get some feedback from you guys. So we're going to give you a, we're going to just play two jingles for two new jingles that we've been working on for our question of the day segment, and we'd like you to text or call in with some responses of which you prefer because we we actually want to get some feedback from the listeners. So we're going to play. Option A, and then we're going to play option B, and then we're going to move into our question for the day. So without any further ado, option A, what time is it? Question of the week. Oh, that's right. It's question of the week. That's right. Not question of the day, because we're only on here once a week. But that was option A. Or question of the week, option B. What time is it? Uh, I think I know where my vote's going. But anyway, I hope you guys can call or text in and let's, let us know which of those you liked. Option A or option B. And option B was the, 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 the real jazzy one, we'll call it, for lack of a better word. All right, let's get on to the question. Can we get that question back up on the screen, Liam? So the question of the week for today, or that we're going through today, is from last week. This is from Aaron. And thank you, Aaron, for your question. The question is, can every true and faithful believer in Jesus have absolute assurance that they will be saved at the end of their life? Is it possible for someone to know that they will never fall away from their faith? And Heavy question. It is a heavy question. Can we have assurance of salvation, or do we need to live in constant fear? This is a question that I have come up across many times yeah. in just my few years in ministry, and it's a powerful question. It's a pertinent question. And the answer is kind of yes and no. Right, And I want to explain that from a biblical perspective of, of why we're saying that. So basically, we need to look at a couple of things. So let's look at some Bible verses, first of all, that talk about kind of both sides of this. So do you want to start with First John? Uh, what was the verse that you called, called me out before? 5 verse 13? So I'll get you to turn there while I read from Philippians 2 verse 12. Yeah. So 1 John 5 verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. All right, so I think that is a really great summary, and Beck brought that one up while we were discussing this. So there's two points in there. What were those points? Yeah, that you can know that you have eternal life, but then he says that you may continue to believe in the Son of God. Okay, so he highlights two things there. Yes, we can have assurance of salvation, and we can rest in that. We can be cheerful and have confidence in our salvation. And yet, he says also, for the purpose of continuing in it, which implies that we can choose to not continue in it. Yeah. So even along with that insure, that assurance of salvation, there is also the question mark of can we decide to fall away? And the answer is yes, we can decide to fall away. At any given point, we could choose that, right? Yeah. And so for some people, that has created a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear. And the, that's so that's what we want to figure out. What's the right response to this? But let's read a couple more verses that highlight this tension because the tension is there in Scripture. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, and he says this, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So here, Paul seems to be highlighting that it's something that we need to think about. Yeah. Right? It's not just a passive thing. 
but it's something that we need to be considering our salvation. We've also got some passages like Hebrews chapter 6, which talks about it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the word of God, good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. And that's a very strong statement by the same author, who's saying that, man, once you have come so far on the walk with God and you walk away, you can't repent. Now, that's challenging for us to read and to think about yeah. because essentially what's going on is is basically that they've come to a point where they have chosen to walk away so far that they've left themselves unable to change their mind. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I remember one of my friends who's a pastor saying, you don't know, like if you're putting off coming to Jesus and if you're putting off a decision to follow him and you say, oh, I'll do that in the future. He says, you don't know if you'll be capable of making that decision in the future. So mm-hmm. you don't know in the future if you will even make that decision. Whereas now you're like, oh, I'll put it off till the future. What if you don't have that opportunity or, or have the, the impetus or, or willingness to do that in the future? Yeah, fully. We've got two more verses that I want to look at. Um, this one is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it says in verse 1 through 2, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, etc., etc. And so it's there is a sure thing that we do have freedom of choice all the way along the journey to choose whether we want to stay in that place where we have assurance or to walk away and fall away and choose to reject God's grace. So how do we deal with this? One final verse and then just a comment to close. So this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Now, Paul says this. He says, and this is, I think, the key point. The key to the answer to your question, Aaron, is this. Paul says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves as to whether you are, present tense, whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is, present tense, in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. And so basically, there's two extremes to avoid because what we see here is that there's a tension. And the tension is there in Scripture. The tension is that we can have assurance, but we need to not be presumptuous and hold on to... Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. That's right. Because there's two camps. There's basically a camp that lives in total fear and uncertainty that they could ever have assurance of any salvation and they live in total you know, abrogation, they have no no confidence in Christ, no cheerfulness. That's not biblical. That's not what Paul's talking about. He talks about a cheerful Christian who knows of assurance of salvation, and yet the same author is saying, don't be confident in yourself and don't have a lack of responsiveness to God because you will be led away by your own hypocrisy. And so the key here is how can we have this assurance and yet not be in a place where we're gonna fall away? And the key is examine ourselves. Have cheerful confidence in what Jesus has done for you, but then have a relationship with Jesus where you daily talk to him and say, hey, what's going on in my life, Lord? Hey, today I fell, and I want to confess that to you and ask for your assistance. Yeah. Lord, what, what else is there going on in my life that's, that's not in keeping with your will? It's in continuing and maintaining that relationship that you are going to have 
Two things, assurance, but also a relationship that leads to your continual dependence upon God, connection to him, and growth and refining that's going to take place. And that's where we want to be. So I hope that's helpful to you, Aaron. Thank you so much for your question. God bless you. This is The Lesser Light Collective, A Thousand Years. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We hope that you've enjoyed our Bible study time and our radio show today. It's been a real blessing to me. With our last couple of minutes here, I'd like to just summarize and draw out what were some of the take-home messages from this hero of faith named Gideon? Yes. 
Yeah, I think for me um, was one that I just mentioned before and wanted to reiterate is that God's words have creative power. And we see at the beginning of time when God speaks, things come into existence. And so he speaks into Gideon valiant that wasn't there. But when God speaks that into his life, he becomes that kind of person. So we... God doesn't see us as we see ourselves and Gideon didn't see himself as a valiant leader, but God saw who he knew Gideon could be. And I just want to encourage you guys out there. Maybe you're on your journey with God. Maybe you're not where you want to be, but I want to encourage you that God sees in you what you don't see yet in yourself because he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you so that you would be saved. And I just want to encourage you on your walk um, to keep going, to keep pursuing and keep trusting God. Um, And that if God has told you something to trust, just like with Robbie um, going to the island, if God has led you somewhere, go there, even if you don't always know the answer. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. I really like in the story, God's faithfulness. Yeah. And I really... I think it's important to remember that God's the real hero in the story. Yeah, 100%. And sometimes God's ways are not going to look like your ways. And when God calls you to something, we so often romanticize how it should look. And when it doesn't look the way we expected or we have the harsh reality like in everything in life that nothing is ever as glamorous as we think it will be, that there is hard work involved in everything, that we can trust that God will be there because God's plans don't always look the way we want them to look. But look how miraculous they are in the end. God brings out good from situations we, we don't think good can come out of. And that, that to me is, is a really important lesson to hold on to and to remember. God is in the business of doing things his way, not our way. Amen. And at first that might feel a bit frightening, but in the end you learn to trust, well, everything that he does his way turns out better than my way anyway, yeah. <laughs> which is a great thing to hold on to. So put your trust in God. And if you're in a space where this is new to you or maybe you've lost faith in God, I just want to really challenge you to take a moment and to really call out to him and ask for God to intercede in your life, to step in in a real way. And when he does answer, and he will answer, maybe not in the way you expect, but he will answer, that you respond to that. Be encouraged by the stories that we're reading in scripture of of failures who God works through, because that's ultimately the best thing that can happen in the story of any person's life is for God to take a failure of a person like me, like you, all of us make those mistakes and that he can make beautiful stories out of that and he can be the hero in the story of our life. And so I want to really challenge you to do that and to seek those opportunities. For now, we will catch you up next week and remember that real faith is lived faith. faith.